0: We had, a, we had a great Christmas uh, as a steak family. Of course, uh, we like to sing songs. Actually, the music starts uh, the day after Halloween. So we've got Christmas music playing for a couple months. And, of course, lots of gift-giving. And, and, uh, and then also, of course, the reading of the Christmas story. Um, one of the favorite things to do is to watch Christmas movies. You guys like to do this? Yeah, so White Christmas, Miracle on 34th Street, Polar Express. And, of course, because I love my wife... Lots of Christmas Hallmark movies, you know, the ones with great acting and surprise endings and those, those cameo appearances by our favorite actors from the 1980s. Uh, I think I saw Joey Lawrence on one of them recently. Um, so yeah, well, great, great Christmas month. Um, but as much as I like Christmas movies, probably the, the favorite genre that I have is mystery. I don't know, there's something about the character development and the, the intrigue, the suspense, and those little clues that are dropped throughout the movie. And then my favorite part is for those really good mysteries, that aha moment where you're like, oh, I get it. You know, like usual suspect. If you guys have seen this movie where Kevin Spacey, he's got the limp throughout the movie. And then all of a sudden he walks out of the police station and he just just walks normal. And gets in a car and drives away. And you're like, no way. That's Kaiser. So say, I can't believe it. Or if you guys haven't seen that movie, the sixth sense, right, where you're watching the whole movie. And all of us are like, oh, that's why he sees Bruce Willis. He's dead. And you're like, oh, my goodness. It's crazy. Well, I love I love mysteries. And, and today we're going to examine a mystery. But the mystery isn't those typical mysteries. The mystery is actually the mystery, mystery of the gospel. The good news about Jesus and his, his life, his death, his, his burial and his resurrection. Um, in fact, if you're aware of this, but the, the word mystery is referred to uh, as the gospel 16 times in the New Testament. In fact, R.C. Sproul, he explains it this way. He says, in the New Testament sense, a mystery is something that w- has been held back. But at a certain time, it is revealed openly by God. And so... Um, It's not like God is like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. No, it's not a mysterious to him. It's a mystery that he's held back until just the right time. And so the mystery of the gospel, of course, um, through through, wasn't a step-by-step process that he revealed to his people. And instead, it was was lots of foreshadowing and and forecasting and and promises. And and the people of God are wondering, what is going to happen? How is God going to rescue his people? How is God going to destroy all the enemies? How is he going to restore all things? How is he going to bring his kingdom on earth the way that it is in heaven? And so the the people are yearning and longing and hoping and waiting for this mystery to be revealed. And of course, as we know, we just celebrated Christmas. We know that the mystery of the gospel is this, that Jesus was sent by his father and humbled himself, became flesh and dwelled among his people and died on a cross to rescue his people from sin. Incredible mystery of the gospel. It's now been revealed to all those who the Holy Spirit has worked in their hearts, one heart at a time. And if you're not, if you're not um, familiar with this, we've actually been walking through the book of Acts. We took a few weeks break uh, for Advent, but now we're jumping back into Acts today. And um, if, if if you don't know this, um, the book of Acts is, it's, it's about the mystery of the gospel being revealed to God's people. And it begins in Jerusalem. And then it moves to Judea and then Samaria, and now it's moving to the ends of the earth. And so we're going to jump into Acts chapter 10, and we're actually going to look at another aspect of the mystery of the gospel. You know, like a beautiful diamond that you turn it in the light and you begin to see new beautiful things. Uh, In the same way, we're going to turn the gospel diamond this morning. And we're going to see that the mystery of the gospel is not just that God sent his son, Jesus, to die for his people. But that Jesus came to die for his people all around the world. He didn't die just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well, for all nations. And the Apostle Paul really captures this mystery of the gospel being revealed in one one sentence. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, it says this mystery is the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so because it's such a profound mystery, and this is a significant part in the history of the church, we're actually going to spend two weeks on Acts chapter 10. And uh, we're going we're to jump in here. But before we do, let me just ask God to bless our time together. Um, so will you pray with me? God, we just want to come to you with thanksgiving, that you have revealed your mystery to us. That Jesus would take the form of a bondservant and become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we could experience freedom and forgiveness. We thank you for that mystery being revealed to us. And we thank you also, God, that this mystery um, is, is for all people. And I pray that as we dig into your word this morning, that your spirit would would make these truths real in our hearts, Um, that your spirit would convict us where we need to be convicted of this, and and encourage us where we need to be encouraged and and guided where we need to be guided. Holy Spirit, please come now. Fill up our hearts to overflowing with joy and peace and and trust as we look into your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's uh, sermon is entitled, The Mystery Revealed. And uh, like any good mystery, we're going we're gonna to take it one scene at a time. And so scene one is Cornelius and his vision. Scene two is, is Peter and his vision. And then scene three is what I call the aha moment for Peter. Okay, so scene one. Just jump, jump in here with me. We're going to read verses one and two to kind of get the, the lay of the land. It says, at Caesarea, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian Cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the poor, and prayed continually to God. And let's just pause there real quick. So we're introduced to Cornelius, and he is a centurion, which is just a non-commissioned officer in the Roman army, but a very important role. It's not high-ranking, but it's really the backbone of the the whole Roman legion. And he commands about a hundred men, and it says that he's stationed in Caesarea, which is kind of a garrison a city named after Augustus Caesar. It's on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a port city. And it's kind of the administrative capital of the, of the province of, of Judea. And uh, it also says here in verse 2, it says that he is a devout man. He fears God with all his household. He, he gave alms generously to the poor and prayed continually to God. So while we don't know all the details, we can, we can probably guess that as a Roman, he was introduced to all the Roman gods. And maybe even for a while, he believed in them. But then he comes to Caesarea, and he meets the Jews, and he's introduced to the God of the Jews, the Yahweh. And he believes in this one true God. And he begins to, to spend time um, with God's people and goes to synagogue, and he, and he gives alms generously to the poor. And it says he prays to God continually. And, and actually, verse 22, it says he was respected by the Jewish people. He was a a God-fearer. And so God has has clearly been working in his heart. But there's a a problem for Cornelius. He is still a Gentile. He's an outsider. Because he hadn't completely converted to Judaism by by being circumcised. And kids, if you don't know what that is, you can ask your mom or your dad when you get home. Um, Because of that, no Jew could enter into his home. And also, no Jew would ever invite Cornelius and his family into their homes. And not only that, was he an outsider towards the Jews, but, but they told him he was also an outsider towards God. And he wasn't allowed to enjoy the grace and the favor and the love and the blessing of God like the Jews. And so, though he prayed to God, and he longed to have a relationship with God, God was, God was still distant to him and this this really summarizes Cornelius is a is a picture of all the gentiles this time a people made in the image of God but completely rejected by the very people the Jews that would claim to know and believe in the one true God and not only that but because of the Jews understanding of scripture and salvation the gentile people were rejected by God as well but it's cool because God then turns the gospel diamond And he begins to reveal himself to Cornelius through a vision. So let's jump into verse 3. It says, about the ninth hour, which is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So just, just real quick, Cornelius. You're not an outsider. Even though you're not a Jew, your prayers have been heard and they have been accepted by God. Let's keep reading. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so at this point, I mean, Cornelius just must be beside himself. God has been preparing Cornelius for this moment for a long time. And now this moment is here. And all along, Cornelius thought that he could never hear from God, that he could never have a true relationship with God and praying and yearning and hoping to know God. Now he realizes that, that God has heard his prayers and hasn't rejected him the way that the Jews said that he would and said, God is God, he's heard his prayers. He's answering them. And, and it looks like Cornelius's wait is finally over. I just want to ask a, a real quick question. Have you ever felt like an outsider? Like you never really fit in or you, or you didn't belong. Maybe you even feel like an outsider towards God. Like, like God couldn't really love me. God couldn't really care for me. I'm, I'm, I'm too different. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. I, there's no, I can't fit in. Well, guys, this story is significant for us. And, and for those of you who might be feeling that way, even today, this passage of scripture is telling us that, that we who might feel like outsiders are brought near through Jesus. We're adopted into God's family as we trust in him. And not only that, but we're brought into the family of God, that we are made together with God's people. All right, scene two, Peter and, and his vision. And before we, we jump into the, the vision itself and uh, let me just kind of give you a backdrop. It says that Peter's about 30 miles away in Joppa, uh, which is another town on the, on the coast. And uh, if you're not familiar with Peter, he is one of the 12 disciples who spent three years with, with Jesus. And um, he's kind of a bold and rash sort of a guy. But on the day of Pentecost, he is empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit. And he proclaims the gospel. And from that point on, he has just been moving and teaching anyone and everyone who he can about Jesus. And Peter he's he's preaching the gospel and while he's healing people through God's power and serving as primary spokesperson of the church, he still though hasn't embraced fully the message of what Jesus gave called the great commission that they that the people are to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to all nations, to all people groups, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. But like any good mystery, uh, we're given some clues that something within Peter is beginning to change. And we're given that clue at the end of chapter 9 where it says that, that Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. And if you guys weren't here a few weeks ago, Pastor Dave talked about this, that um, in the Jews' eyes, tanners were seen as some of the most despised people because they had to make leather and deal with dead animal skins, which made them ceremonially unclean. They couldn't worship in the temple. And not only that, but they had, in order to soften and smooth out the litter, they had to use animal dung, which is quite disgusting, of course. And so they're, they're smelly. And, and the smell is just, the stench is permeating through their clothes and their skin. In fact, there's even a law that the Jews came up with that said, you know, if a, if a woman got married to a tanner and she realized that she couldn't stand the smell anymore, that she could legally divorce the guy just because of his smell. So pretty crazy stuff. And uh, I'm glad that that is not still here today because Julia might say, I oh, mean, you smell really bad. You guys, you guys, if uh, you haven't been in my house anyway. Uh, so, so here's, 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 here's uh, Simon the Tanner. He's a, he's a social outcast. He's religiously unclean. He's living on the outskirts of town, but he's accepted Jesus as a savior. He's received Jesus. And so as a result, um, he's not only accepted by Jesus, but, but he's accepted by Peter as well. And so Peter really represents the Christian Jews at this time. These are are the chosen people who are beginning to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, okay, that he is their Savior, and that he came for the rich and the poor, for the important and the lowly. And yet these Jewish Christians are a people who are still blinded to the fact that Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jews, but of the Gentiles as well. So now we get to see this vision in verses 9 to 16. It says, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, meaning Cornelius' men, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, about noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending it. Um, the Greek word there is just like a, like a huge sail on a ship. So they see, he sees the sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And then the thing was taken up at once to heaven. And so guys, with all of our fried shrimp eating and barbecue pork eating, you know, we're kind of like, what? I don't really understand the significance of this vision, but this is huge for Peter. Um, In fact, in verse 17, it says that he was perplexed, uh, meaning he was just completely at a loss. He's like, what in the world? What about all these dietary laws that, that God, you gave to Moses thousands of years ago? What about us, us being holy and separate and the people set apart for you? You know, to see these, these images of, of these animals, which, which, the, new, which the King James talks, calls creeping things, to see these creeping things. It's not just a little yucky, like eating the casserole surprise on Friday at your school cafeteria. Now, this is, this is disgusting. This is revolting. This... For Peter was just the worst thing possible. By eating these foods, Peter would become unclean. Or would he? To get the answer, why don't we just real quickly look at Jesus' words. They're found in Mark chapter 7. Um, You can follow on the screen after me. Um, Of course, the book of Mark is written after Jesus comes to the earth. And so there's a little extra commentary that helps us to understand Jesus' words and what he's talking about here. So this is what it says, starting in verse 15. It says, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared, All foods clean. And Jesus goes on to say, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So Jesus is telling us that being unclean is not a matter of food. It's a matter of the heart. What's in our, our hearts is what, makes us unclean. You see, the real purpose of not only the food laws, but but all of the law of God was to reveal to his people that they are unclean. They are so unclean in the face of a holy and righteous God, and, and they need a savior to make them clean, to rescue them from all their uncleanness. And now that Jesus has come and he's fulfilled all of the law, all this ceremonial law could be done away with. No more eating certain foods. No more sacrifices needed. Christ was enough. And so while, while Peter's believing in this gospel of grace, and he, and he knows that it's Jesus who makes him clean, he's still trying to reconcile all of this in his mind, and his heart, these things that he grew up with. But guys, he's about to see that it's much more than just food. It's, um, it's about people too. Peter's about to, the matrix says, you know, take the red pill and just see how far the rabbit hole really goes. And so let's keep reading verses 17 and following. It says, now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in. To be his guest, and so while while Peter's pondering the meaning of this vision and trying to figure out what it's all about, the men from Cornelius arrive, and the Holy Spirit, of course, tells Peter to greet them in and and go with them without hesitation. And so Peter goes downstairs, and when he gets downstairs, what Gentiles? Those unclean people. The people that that are not worthy of my presence, they're they're despised and they're revolting people that that the Jews call dogs and are unfit to even eat the crumbs from a Jew's table. Those people? Guys, it's hard for us to understand just how strong the Jews' hatred was towards the Gentiles. But I had a chance to spend some time uh, yesterday with a friend of mine, Yaakov. Um, He's here at Four Oaks. and uh, he's what we call a completed Jew, meaning a, a Jew that believes that Jesus is the Messiah and kind of gave me a, a little bit more of a backdrop to understand these things. And so, guys, we know that, that God's law is clear, that, that God has a heart for the Gentiles. In fact, um, he even made many laws for the Jews in how to interact with and care for the Gentiles, especially those that were traveling through, how to, how to love them and serve them. And, and not only that, but there's, there's promises in Scripture, in the Psalms and in the prophets that... The Gentiles, as they trust in the Messiah, they would receive blessing. But over time, the Jews developed a a strong hatred against the Gentiles. And this particularly happened when the Jews were exiled to Babylon. And while they were over there, the Jewish leaders, instead of looking inwardly at their own hearts and seeing how they were being judged by God, because of their, their worship of false gods. Instead, they blamed everything on the Gentiles. If it weren't for the Gentiles, we would still be in Israel. If it weren't for the Gentiles, we would be clean, we would be accepted by God. So they began to develop all of these oral traditions, these, these, these laws that they would tell to the people in the synagogues, saying, Stay away from the Gentiles, keep your distance from the gentiles we hate the gentiles strong 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 words there were, there were laws even where, where a Jew could not stand in the shadow of a tree that was owned by a Gentile because they were made unclean John Scott puts it this way it is difficult for us to grasp the impassable gulf in those days between the Jews on the one hand and the Gentiles on the other. Not that the Old Testament countenanced such a divide. It affirmed that God had a purpose for the Gentiles. By choosing and blessing the Jews, he intended to bless all the families of the earth. The tragedy was that Israel twisted this doctrine of election into one of favoritism, became filled with racial pride and hatred, despised the Gentiles as dogs, and developed traditions that kept them apart. No Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile all familiar intercourse with Gentiles was forbidden. And as we mentioned earlier, the Jews had gotten it all wrong. They have focused everything on what's outside of them rather than on their own hearts. They tried to measure up to a list of do's and don'ts in order to make themselves clean before God rather than recognizing that the real source of uncleanness was their own hatred and sin. And instead of, looking to the Savior to make them clean. They tried to fulfill all of these oral traditions that they made up in order to make themselves clean. And guys, I just ask, like, what is it? What is it that leads to, to prejudice and racism? I, I think it's fear. Uh, and I think more than anything else, it's this. It's, it's being afraid that that person, fill in the blank for whoever that may, might be, that a person will make you unclean. So now we can understand a little about what's going on in Peter's heart and his head and all of these these cultural and racial prejudices that that Peter grew up with are being stripped away, and he's trying to figure out what does this mean? And and guys, Peter is afraid. He's afraid of becoming unclean. What's awesome is he replaces his fear with faith. In God. While Peter doesn't understand everything, he does understand this, that he's gotten a vision three times, <laughs> and God spoke to him. And so he, he welcomes the Gentiles, what does it say, as his guests. And he's beginning to see the gospel diamond in a new way. He's beginning to see the mystery of the gospel revealed to him. The blinders are coming off, and now we move to scene three, Peter's aha moment, the time when everything comes together. He you uh, he ever heard of a stereogram? Um, I I hadn't either, but I looked up on the internet. I knew there was this thing that I grew up with. I was like, what is it called? It's called a stereogram, but basically it's, it's one of those pictures. It was popular when I was in high school where you, where you look at and you stare at for a long time and, and it's just this kind of blob and then all of a sudden, boom, like to see the 3d image, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, Oh, and some people with a lazy eye, they can get it really fast. I mean, it took me a really long time to figure it out. But once I saw it, I was like, oh, I get it. Awesome. Cool. That's what Peter's about to have. He's about to have one of those aha moments where he's like, oh, I get it. So let's read um, verses 23b and following. It says, The next day he arose, maybe Peter arose, and went away with him, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea, Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, "'Stand up. I, too, am a man.' And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, "'You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation.'" Remember, lawful there is not God's law. It's these oral laws that have been passed down through the years. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so Peter walks in, and Cornelius, he immediately falls down at at Peter's feet. And like any good Jew of his day, you know, Peter could have accepted this sort of honor and said, oh, yeah, you lowly Jew, just, you know, kiss my feet. Tell me how superior I am as as a chosen person of God, but not Peter. No. No, we see humility. He says, oh, stand up. I too am a man, just like you. And then and then Peter, Peter looks around and he sees all of Cornelius's family and close friends waiting with bated breath to hear the words of life from Peter. And here, that's when the pop happens, the aha moment when he sees the big picture. Of the gospel. Let me read to you, verse 28 again. What does it say? It says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So Peter gets it. God is not just the God of the Jews, but of the Gentiles as well. God is God does not just have a heart for the nation of Israel, but for all nations. In fact, God has always had a heart for the nations. It's just the people of Israel didn't get it until now. So the walls of hostility and racism and prejudice are beginning to be destroyed by the gospel of grace found through Jesus Christ. God's grace is for Jews and for Gentiles. And, and maybe as Peter's about ready to speak, he's, he's thinking of God's promise to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, Genesis 12. And I will make you, make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth, all the nations, all the people groups will be blessed. You see, Israel had missed this opportunity to bless the nations. They became isolated and separated and segregated. But now these Jewish believers as a part of the church, are given a second chance. And Peter gets to be a part of it. Maybe Peter, before he started to speak, he thought of Isaiah's promise in Isaiah 49, 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you, meaning, I will make you Jesus as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so, Peter's just amazed. God's grace is for all the people. And now Peter is about to speak. If you guys want to hear what he has to say, you got to wait till next week. <laughs> We're going to pause here. And I just want to want to take this next, these next few minutes and say, okay, what does this aha moment for uh, mean for us? You know, how do we take what, what is happening in Peter's heart and mind? How do we take it home with us? And I really think there's, there's two applications here. Two things that we can really grow from. One is gratitude towards God, and then number two is is grace towards all. So first, gratitude towards God. What remember that is is that God's. So we're seeing this passage. God's heart is for you and for me. So maybe there are a few of you guys. I know we got got a few Jews in the house. Amen. But uh, but most of us are Gentiles. And so as we as we look at this. Passage of Scripture, we see that we are the fulfillment of God's promise that that He would set apart a people from Himself, from Himself, from every tongue, tribe, and nation. This is this is the beginning of our inclusion. Through Jesus, we are made clean. When we look to Him and we trust in Him as our Savior and Lord, our sin is washed away, and we are forgiven. We are accepted. We are adopted, and we are welcomed into God's presence, both now. And forever, Dr. H.A. Ironside, a famous pastor, said when his father was on his deathbed that this passage was on his lips. And his father kept saying, a great sheet, wild beasts, and, 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 and he couldn't get out the rest of the words. And so a friend bent over and whispered, John, it says creeping things. This is how I got in. Just a poor, good for nothing, creeping thing. But I got in. Guys, we should be filled with gratitude as we consider the gospel that is for you and for me. That God has rescued us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light through his son, Jesus, the light for the nation's. But as much as we ought to grow in gratitude, I think something we need to even grow in more is what I would call grace towards all. Um, What do I mean by that? Well, I want to ask this question. Are there any barriers that you or I have put up to keep people from seeing and hearing and experiencing the gospel? Do you view any people as unclean? Unworthy? of the gospel. Maybe it's a certain race or nationality. Uh, People with disabilities, people with mental illness, the homeless, a drug addict, a a prostitute, a person with a a criminal background, Uh, or maybe it's a classmate, kids at school, who is just kind of on the outside looking in and not fitting in, Or, or maybe it's a family member or a friend, close friend who has deeply wronged you, and you've put up this wall of hostility, and you say, I'm going to write you off. You are unworthy of my time. You're unworthy of my love and my affection. You're unworthy of my conversation. What does the gospel say to us? Listen to Peter's words again. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So here's the point. The gospel says this, that we are all sinners. We are all unclean. We are all enemies, of the gospel, there's no distinction. Each one of us needs a Savior to wash us clean from sin. And guys, once we receive Jesus, we are to see all people the way Jesus sees us as fellow sinners in need of the grace and the mercy and the love of God. A person who needs the clean robes of Jesus' righteousness to cover over all of their sin and their uncleanness. We're to show grace and proclaim grace to all people, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, rich, poor, strong, weak, important, lowly, lovely, unlovely. It's easy for us to show grace towards the lovely, but it is hard for us to show grace towards the unlovely. And guys, here's the biggest challenge for us. Um, I think we could, most of us, or if not all of us would say, yeah, I totally, yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. The gospel is for all, but here's Here's where the rubber meets the road. There is a big difference between agreement and ownership. Agreement just means, yeah, I agree. Yeah, the gospel's for all people. Absolutely. Ownership means I will remove whatever barriers I have put up. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone, and I'm going to pursue people who are different than me, um, who, have, who have maybe caused harm against me. It may mean asking a neighbor or a coworker over for For dinner, who doesn't look like you, who doesn't dress like you, who doesn't speak like you, who doesn't act like you, because they're in need of the gospel. Maybe showing love to, um, to a disabled person or to the poor and providing care for them. Or maybe ownership means joyfully and sacrificially giving to missionaries who are crossing physical and cultural and language barriers and boundaries that they haven't put up but that the people of God have put up so that they can reach the unreached people with the gospel. Um, guys, I'm not sure what it might mean for you as the Holy Spirit's maybe stirring your heart. Let me just tell you what it was like for me um, just a week and a half ago. As I was beginning to think about and prepare for this sermon, Wednesday was going to be my first day to really dig into the text. And uh, so I come to the, to the church office here, and as I walk in, I see this, this, uh, this sheet, and there's clearly a you know a person laying underneath it on the bench, and uh, you know, of course, immediately, like I need to go talk to them. Not barrier. I, I don't need to deal with that person. Barriers up. Walk into the office. I have a meeting, and so I'm meeting with this person, I'm talking with them, and, and then Joe comes in about halfway through my meeting and says, Scott, there's this there's this man. He's sleeping under a blanket. You need to go talk to him, and I. I'm going to finish my meeting first. Barrier. Didn't want to talk. Unworthy of my time. And guys, finally, because um, I had to, walked out after the meeting and tapped on the blanket. <laughs> out pops this man um, laying on a, on a Bible. And all he had literally was a, was a blanket, a Bible, and the clothes he was wearing. That was it. He had showed up the night before, like it was, it was cold. It's hot right now. It was cold back then. It was like 35 degrees. And he had been sleeping there all night long. He just arrived. You guys, over the next few hours, um, I realized that this was the preparation for my sermon. I was, I was wanting to spend time in the text when I really needed to spend time with people who I had put barriers up and was, un- was saying was unworthy of my time and unworthy of the gospel. So I was able to buy him a meal and, and uh, got contact with his family up in Atlanta and, and bought him a one-way ticket um, with your church funds. Thank you, guys. And, uh, and got him to his family. And I got to pray while he was traveling. I got to pray with his cousin who was a believer up near Atlanta. We prayed for Michael. And Michael was able to spend Christmas with his family. He had been an outsider. He had been completely outcast. And the gospel had brought him near. And I don't understand. He had mental illness. I don't understand how much he understood the gospel. But I do know that the gospel had made an impact on his life. And uh, I, don't, I don't say that because I'm a hero. In fact, just the opposite. I was, I was like, McFly, McFly. You know, Like, I don't, I'm not listening to you. And God just had to keep beating me over the head. Like, like Peter was beat over the head three times in the vision. Peter, don't you get it? I am a God for all people. So guys, this morning, I'm not sure how the Holy Spirit might be moving in your heart. But my, my prayer and my hope for you is that the gospel would change the way that you and I see the people around us. As the mystery of the gospel was revealed to, to Peter and, and he walked past his fear and put his faith in Jesus and took the next step to welcome those Gentiles, my prayer for you and I is that we take the next step. I don't know what that might mean for you. I not want them to be for me in the future, but may we be obedient to the Spirit and say the gospel is for all people. Just as God's grace has been extended to me, God's grace, I want to now extend to others as well. May the Holy Spirit work in our hearts and give us the power to do that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.